purpose to grow your kingdom in the time that you give us here on earth. And as we anticipate your return, our hearts grown and eagerly and eagerly, Lord. And we look forward to rejoicing in your presence. So Father, we pray that you would uh, just humble our hearts this morning to receive your word and uh, teach us and how we can walk faithfully with you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. It's good to be with you this morning. Hope you're having a good week and enjoying your summer. Uh, I get the pleasure to continue. I'm going to continue talking about how God is a father to us. Uh, it's kind of fun that Chris preached on that during Father's Day, and uh, this is a passage of scripture that I've been uh, praying on and, and processing through, and so I hope it blesses you here this morning. Uh, we're going to look at how God is a father toward us in a, in a unique way that we often probably don't think of God as a father toward us. Uh, and that is discipline. And so we're going to look into Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 17. So feel free to open up there uh, as I kind of bring us into what we're going to be learning this morning. Um, see, God loves his people, and I love that he's a father toward us, even in this aspect of him uh, disciplining us as his children. So we're going to recall a lot of the promises uh, that we see frequently in the New Testament uh, as God, for, from God toward his people, to us as his children, uh, to help us in our weakness uh, when it comes to temptation and sin in our lives. So as you may have already learned, fellowship with Christ is no walk in the park. It comes with great challenges uh, because of the sin that dwells still within us here in this lifetime. We're called to pursue joy, but often we feel tired, weary, and broken. Discouragement seeps into our hearts and hearts and our hearts will often lead us to push away from God. And so my prayer for today is that our hearts and our minds would be led closer to the Lord and that we would walk more intimately with him in all circumstances, particularly when our faith is being challenged. From the onset of our conversion, God has set us on a course or a race, if you will, of faith. And the race requires lots of training and it requires perseverance and endurance. And ultimately, it is God who receives the glory and that he hopes and wills that we become more like Christ. So since my son Phineas has been born, I've been thinking a lot about this dynamic of father-son and how it kind of correlates to our relationship to God as children, right? So my son, he's growing. Uh, he's only a little over a year old now. Uh, but I think frequently about how I want to see him grow into a man of God, how I want to see him grow into character, respecting those who are in authority over him, the, how he can express gratitude uh, when someone gives him a gift. And a lot of this doesn't just come as a result of him figuring it out himself. It typically and is necessary for him to receive that through instruction, teaching, etc. And so I hope that as my son gets older, he can understand these things. And we would all know that we can't anticipate a young man or woman coming into a position of outstanding character without some sort of fatherly or motherly instruction in their, in their life. And so it is the duty of parents to exemplify what it means to live these lives. But also they must do it in a way that is gracious but firm with their children. For example, as I mentioned, it is good for parents to help their kids understand gratitude or respect those in who has authority over them. In the same way, God cares for us as children to help us grow into what is good and what is true. He has given us his word as a means to know and understand how we're to best live our lives for his good, excuse me, for our good and his glory. 
Therefore, by the Lord's grace, my son will hopefully come to follow Christ closely as a result of our instruction as his parents or as a, for, through another faithful Christian. In either circumstance, if he comes to faith, he'll immediately be set on a course or a race that most of us in here who follow Christ are already, have already been set on. And that is towards sanctification, the process of becoming like Christ. Yet Phineas and ourselves, we all must come to first understand and know that the word t- what the word teaches is good and true. He will then, Phineas or ourselves, will have a decision to make as we go through life. We can either heed the instruction of the Lord when faced with opposition and temptation and sin, or we can neglect the instruction of the Lord and experience the hardships and pains of our sin. As we will see in our text today, the latter is used by the Lord to lead us to repentance, thus furthering our sanctification. We should then learn to understand that as our Father, the Lord disciplines his children. When in sin, so they will grow in the peaceful fruit of righteousness he has purposed for them. So as we look at the Hebrews, we will see the author, just kind of a little bit of an introduction as where we are um, here in Hebrews, because uh, we're kind of doing a one-off here this, this week. In chapter 11, the author of Hebrews helps us see a bunch of men and women in the Old Testament who were commended for their faith. But yet, as we enter the Hebrews 12, it describes who's the ultimate faithful one. And we are put on the streets of life where we endure and we strive for righteousness. Admittedly, we will face persecution and temptation. However, God will discipline us to help us bear this fruit of righteousness in our lives. And we're strengthened to grow in holiness as we listen to the instruction of God. So in our weakness, we look to Christ to encourage one another, and we preach Christ that we may not fall into apostasy, and we help others come to know Christ. And this has been a passage that's been really helpful for me in my walk with the Lord as I understand the sin in my life and how I navigate that and how I can come to the Lord with grace and mercy. So we'll begin in verses 1 to 5, excuse me, 1 to 4. And uh, if you would like to follow along with me, I would encourage that. It should hopefully be on, on the wall as well. The author writes, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. So we already see this theme as in chapter 11, looking to the faith of men and women in the Old Testament. And we see that they have already run the course in the race. They were committed for their faith. And so we too, as we enter into this walk with Christ, we have been entered into this race of faith that we go through in life. So scripture gives us unique insights into the men and women in the previous chapter. So in your free time, you should give it a read and look at it because it really does help emphasize what chapter 12 is explaining here. Their faith is commended because all of their faith points to Christ, who is the ultimate faithful one. He is without sin. And so we look to Christ's faithful suffering because his work on the cross is what gives us rest. And we strive to endure in the race to live that faithful life so that we obtain the ultimate rest with Christ in heaven. You see, Christ despised the shame that he was going to receive on the cross. He counted it as worthy, which is an amazing gift because we receive eternal life through faith in Christ, through the work of his 
doing on the cross on our behalf. And as a result, Christ has been honored. He sits at the right hand of God, and he gets to rule and reign here on earth and in heaven. He's in charge of all things. He's a dominion and authority over all things. And so we get the beautiful commandment to look to him. And we're given the glorious promise as well. As we look at Galatians 4, 3 to 7, to help us understand this idea of how we are kind of honored as Christ is honored as children of God, we see that Paul writes in Galatians, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, God. So as Christ was given this place of honor, we too are given this place of honor as considered a son, seeking an inheritance along with Christ. Give me a second. I can hear myself cutting in and out, so we're going to see if this helps a little bit. So we receive an inheritance where we get to be called sons of God. So we get to partake in this eternal kingdom in which God has laid store in store for us. And as a result, in this life, we are given the helper. We're given the Holy Spirit to help us until we obtain the inheritance in which the Lord has laid out for us. And that is the Holy Spirit. So the Christian, we are not without excuse in our run, in our race toward faith. We're given all that we need to run this race and do it with endurance. So in our struggle against sin, the author of Hebrews here says, we must not grow weary. For Christ has done the hard work for us. We can throw off every heavy burden and sin that weighs us down, and we can put the yoke of Christ upon us, which is light and easy. Christ has already suffered the death that we deserve, but we must now take the heavy weight of temptation and sin before Christ so that we can endure in this lifetime. So we're not meant to do it alone or by our own strength. Therefore, Christ gives us his spirit to help us in our weakness. And here are, so, here are about three ways, and there's probably more, but at least three ways in which the Holy Spirit helps us in our temptation and our sin. And the first, the spirit brings to mind the promises of God. I think that's super important, right? What we have heard and received from faithful men and women, men and women who have taught us the word, in that are the promises of Christ. So if we're challenged in remembering what is true about our relationship with God, now is the time for us to immerse ourselves in the word, to have it at the forefront of our minds and to, to meditate on it day and night. And so a good way to start by doing this is reading the Gospel of John. There's numerous, numerous examples of promises of Christ toward his people to help them endure in their walk with the Lord. In fact, it's actually impossible probably to read through the entirety of the Bible and not see a promise of God in a book of the Bible. So all of Scripture is saturated of God's faithfulness toward his people and for his people to be able to walk with encouragement and hope. And so God has provided all these stories to help us remember. For example, one promise is that God is a father toward us. And we'll continue to see that today, as I've already mentioned. And as Galatians has mentioned, he calls us sons. And we'll continue to talk about that in the preceding verses. And so God did not purpose for his people to forget his faithfulness toward them. 
he uses it so that we can have a foothold against our battle against our flesh and the deceiver himself. And so the Spirit uses church community, secondly, right? We'll see he uses the word and we see promises that we can pray through and rely on. And then secondly, he uses his Spirit in the members of the church to encourage and admonish one another. And admonishment is this um, idea of firm, firm rebuke um, and helping keep someone on path. So God gives us this other level of help, and that is the church here today and all throughout the world. Ephesians 4 helps outline this for us. The church is given to us as a gift by God to build one another up in faith and love so that we would grow into maturity as followers of Christ. As Chris kind of mentioned even last week, we are meant to grow further in maturity in our walk with the Lord as our parents disciple us or, you know, those who faithfully teach us, instruct us. A spiritually mature body of believers lives out of the promises of Christ. So they grow together for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. So some ways in which this could look, we can strive to genuinely pray for one another. The Lord uses his spirit to lead our hearts to see his work done in this world as we anticipate the return of Christ. We can also graciously help our fellow Christians see their sin and, and help lead them toward repentance because it ultimately leads to the righteousness in which God has laid in store for us to obtain here on this earth. And as we look forward to the holiness we receive in heaven. But then we also must have a humble heart to receive such instruction from our, fr- from our friends and our brothers and sisters who care deeply for us. And then we can encourage and rejoice with one another as we see the promises of God working through our lives and, and, and continuing to sanctify us from one degree of glory to the next. So something we've got to be careful of is as a church, if we don't do this, that's how the church becomes stagnant. When Christians remain immature in their faith, it's nearly impossible for an infant to feed another infant. There needs to be some sort of mature individual among the congregation that's able to feed the flock and one another to encourage and equip each other because we all have the spirit of Christ dwelling within us. So let's not disregard the gift of the church that the Lord has given us because the spirit of Christ dwells in each and every one of us so that we may grow into holiness. And then third, as a result of the spirit dwelling in us, it brings about peace in our hearts. And this is really important because as we engage in our life, seeing the sin that so easily entangles us, we must remember that the Spirit brings peace to our hearts, and so we have a greater hope. So he uses the word, he uses the prayer, he uses the church and community to give us peace through the Holy Spirit. We read in Philippians 4, 8, 9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Inevitably, we know full and well our flesh is at war with the Spirit dwelling within us. Paul hashes this out in Romans. And we can often be short-sighted in our endurance. We can get bogged down by the entanglements of sin and feel that we are hopeless. But as we see in Hebrews here, we are to take heart. God has purposed to use our sin for good in his glory. So we'll jump into verses five through 11 here in Hebrews, if you'll follow along with me. 
We read, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have heard, excuse me, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but it later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So God helps us see our sin and strive to run this race set before us so that we can hold fast to this promise as well. It should be no surprise to each of us that there is still sin dwelling within us. So scripture helps us see as that occurs in your life, do not disregard the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary, nor be tired when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises or rebukes every son whom he receives. And then we see this kind of analogy of a good father here on earth disciplining his son as they see it good for their child. And as I was reflecting on my relationship with my son as he gets older. So in our disobedience and God's subsequent discipline, we must not grow weary. As a in our race to receive the inheritance laid up for us, we will often feel tired. We often experience hardships in life, often temptations as well when we fall into sin. We can get so tunnel vision sometimes. For men in the household, we can find ourselves chasing the buck over spiritually leading our family. It's easy to covet something else that someone has. Maybe it's a lower interest rate on a house. Very true. Maybe it's someone's marriage, or maybe it's the obedience of their children toward their parents. It's easy to covet these things. Even gossip and slander is so easily able to be rooted up from the, from the bottom amongst your friendships, amongst your coworkers, and others. So when we fall into temptation, which is usually us trying to believe in a false promise of peace or rest, the Lord disciplines us, and the result of sin is often either physically, emotionally, and or spiritually painful. For example, it's kind of easy to see this play out if you're angry and you're someone that likes to hit things. You can easily find yourself with a broken hand. Or if you're really angry, you could find yourself with a headache. It's very obvious that sin brings physical pain. But even emotionally, if you lie to your spouse and they find out about it, there's a relational dissonance that easily occurs between the two of you and emotionally that is heavy on each of your hearts as it ought to be. Or even a rebellious heart toward God causes dissonance when you know what is right and true, but yet you purposely walk out of the commandments of the Lord. There's broken fellowship with Christ. And as a follower of Christ, you know that, that dis you can feel that dissonance because you have in that moment turned from God. 
So God has instituted this for our good as Christians. He's instituted discipline for our good as Christians. It helps redirect our minds from ourself and to look to Christ. So as a good earthly father disciplines us to keep us from danger, so our heavenly father disciplines us for our safety and better yet, to help us grow in holiness and righteousness. See, from the onset of conversion, God has purposed to transform us again from one degree of glory to the next. Romans 30 outlines this as Paul writes, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is a glorious promise we get to look to. When we are in Christ, God has purposed that we grow in maturity. He doesn't just save us and leave us to be and hope we figure it out by ourselves. He gives us his word. He gives us his commandments to know how to love God and obey him well. So we don't stay in an infantile state of faith. We don't want to become deceived that apathy is the way to a Christian life, nor carelessness for our character and how it reflects Christ. Our hearts are transformed to pursue and love God and his commandments. At the same time, we should not be surprised by the temptation to sin in our life, as we've just previously mentioned. For the time that we have here on earth, we are called to continually put off the old self with its sinful desires and to put on the new self after the likeness of Christ. For God warns us in his word the result of sin if we continue to walk in it, and it leads to death. And it's a very serious truth for each and every one of us, regardless where we are in our walk with Christ. Apart from him, our sin leads to death. So therefore, it would be negligent of a father to not discipline their child for their maturity or character. The father is setting their child up for failure if they don't take the time to instruct them. A child will not understand wisdom or discernment for their life and will be left to their own decisions and thinking to try to figure out what is good and bad. A good father should delight for their child to make good decisions and to not get in trouble and to be of great character and great help to their neighbor. A distant and uninstructive father would likely nine times out of ten not produce a son or a daughter of outstanding character. And we see that raising child, raising a child if you're a parent, takes a lot of help. And raising a child takes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that should sound familiar. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Yet, if you're a parent, you understand how often each of these proponents are difficult to live out on a daily basis. And we are very much tested in our character in this way. So I'm only a year into this whole parenting thing, right? And I've already seen my failure in numerous ways in exemplifying this, at the, this characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit in my life toward my son, particularly when it comes to patience. So some of you might have seen Phineas has started walk, and he loves it. Like, the, the dude just loves walking. He gets to explore, he adventures, he finds himself looking at all sorts of different things that he hasn't gotten to experience before, and it's a joy as a parent to observe that. However, he often finds himself stumbling upon things that he shouldn't probably be playing with, like the wall outlet. And he loves to stick his little fingers into the holes of that wall outlet because he doesn't quite understand yet that there's a lot of physical pain that can come from doing so. So my wife and I have to be on our toes, and we have to be diligent to help redirect him away discipline him and help show him, hey, this is what is good. You know, you've got all these other toys that are wonderful. You don't need to play with the outlet that seems like a toy. 
And the irony is that after a couple minutes, he just finds himself back at the wall outlet. And my wife and I have to do the whole circumstance, the whole routine over again. And it's frustrating. It can be frustrating as a parent because you're like, I just told you. Now, my son's like one year and like a few months old, but he's learning to understand, but it's true for kids as they are, are um, <laughs> you know, up to the age of 10, even uh, in high school as youth, uh, and even probably sometimes as young adults, parents still trying to instruct their children in what is good and true. And it often requires patience, and I've seen that need in my life. And then I sit and pause for a moment, and I think like, man, how much am I like Phineas toward God and my walk with the Lord? where God shows me and instructs me, hey, do not stick your finger in the outlet. It's going to hurt. And I forget, oh, yeah, he said that in Proverbs. You know, you get what I'm saying here. And I walk over to the outlet, and I, you know, start to put my finger in there, and I get a little zap, and I'm like, oh, shoot, like, yeah, that hurts. You know, and I remember, yeah, God told me this is what's going to hurt me. And so what the sad part is, is I forget what is good and true, the promises of Christ, how he has purposed for me to walk because it is to guard us from sin. And so we see some of this and how the instruction of the Lord is important for our lives in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 through 13. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. Excuse me. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom, the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. Every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil and from men of perverted speech. So we see And I see even in my life how easy it is for me to disregard the wisdom and instruction of the Lord. But he's gracious to pull me back onto the path of the race of life so I can continue to endure and persevere toward the end. Even if two minutes later I find myself wandering off the path. But God's purpose through that sin is that I would understand and see through the pain that I continuously put myself through, this is not good and it does not lead to life. Pursue my word, what is good and true, and it will go well for you. So God's wisdom is given so we understand his righteousness, his justice, and his equity. So we then learn how obedience to God gives us the ability to love God and rest in his wisdom. It's a shield of protection, and it delivers us from evil and sin. We will continue to grow in discretion. We'll continue to grow in knowledge. We'll continue to grow in wisdom. So we are less likely to be deceived by the deceiver. For we have become more than conquerors through Christ who gives us strength. And we often hear that passage, but it is a very true passage for us as we think about our weariness and our tiredness as we walk with Christ and life. So discipline seems painful for a moment, but as we see, it's necessary to redirect us back to Christ. It is better to listen to the instruction of the Lord and walk in righteousness than disregard his wisdom and, and fall into folly. So, right, we have kind of these, these two choices. We can be taught in what is good. We're always taught in what is good and right. If we've been instructed by our parents, well, through what Scripture teaches or a faithful man or woman in our lives. And we can regard that discipline well, or excuse me, regard that, um, that wisdom, that instruction well, and just, and just trust that we know it's good and it's for his glory. Or we can disregard it and have to learn through experience. 
So let's not be discouraged because there's hope and joy to be found in our sanctification. So, but if on the flip side, you're darkened in your sin, it's good for us to take a moment to recognize our continued need for Christ. So let's jump into verse 12 and 17 and see how this discipline of the Lord is an encouragement for us continually. It reads, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So we're encouraged when we feel weary and we feel burdened, we are to strengthen ourselves by holding fast to the promises of God. We are healed through his discipline and grace in our lives. Now that's an interesting phrase to think about. We are healed through his discipline and grace in our lives. I don't think we often consider that in our sin, the Lord cares deeply enough for us that he helps us see how he's growing us through our sin. So let's not be discouraged in our race of faith. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So we get to remember that God has purpose that we get to endure the temptation that is before us. We can turn to God when things are challenging and harmful. I like 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. It helps us see a little bit about our relationship with Christ and how he is a father toward us. John writes, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the world, the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says, abide in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So we get a clear distinction of what it looks like to genuinely seek Christ in our lives and to be renewed through him. Our hearts in Christ are being transformed to love what is right and true. Apart from Christ, we see his commandments and they feel burdensome. But in Christ, his commandments are life and joy and peace and fruit. So if your heart is bent away from God, we continue to live in sin without considering a glimpse of righteousness. But if your heart is bent toward Christ, you see how to walk faithfully with the Lord. So we can remember the promises of Christ, that those who God calls, he justifies and sanctifies and glorifies. And if you're in the fold of God, you belong fully to him. And you're an adopted son who will not be lost. 
when we strive for peace among one another, it's an opportunity for us to equip and encourage one another to obtain the holiness in which God has purposed for us to walk. We're to take care that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. We are to avoid being sexually immoral. And we are to not stay in a lame phase of walking with Christ, but that we're to be strengthened in our weakness. So remember that the Spirit has been given to us to help us pursue the word and prayer, helps us receive instruction from those around us in the church, and it brings about peace. So our, excuse me, our pursuit of Christ is meant to even help others lead others to Christ, as well as help one another here in our congregation to walk in what is good and true and righteous. So let's take heart to the warning that we see here in verses 15 and 16 regarding the life of Esau, another individual that we read about in the Old Testament who disregards the blessing that is being offered to him by the Lord and gives it up for something very worldly. What was attractive for a moment became very destructive for Esau. And we're going to look at John Calvin and how he comments on this passage here in verses 15 and 16. Calvin says, Thus they who are led away by the allurements of this world alienate themselves from God and sell their own salvation that they may feed on the morsels of this world. Without thinking that they lose anything, nay, they flatter and applaud themselves as though they were extremely happy. When too late, their eyes are opened, so that being warned by the sight of their own wickedness, they become sensible of the loss of which they made no account. While Esau was hungry, he cared for nothing but how he might have his stomach filled. When full, he laughed at his brother and judged him a fool for having voluntarily deprived himself of a meal. Nay, such is also the stupidity of the ungodly as long as they burn depraved lusts or intemperately plunge themselves into sinful pleasures. Excuse me. After a time, they understand how fatal to them are all the things which they so eagerly desired. And this is the state in which we often can find ourselves in apart from Christ, pursuing what seems good in this world, but yet just coming to realize and understand that we're throwing away this free gift of grace in which is being offered to each and every one of us through Christ. But as we disregard the beautiful gift, we pursue these simple morsels of this world, which ultimately lead to death. I found it very helpful as I was considering Esau's life. And as a church, let's see to it that no one, rece- that no one fails to receive the grace of God. We can encourage and admonish one another so long as it's called today and proclaim Christ to those who have yet to receive the grace of God. We must all continuously look to the cross for help, lest any of us deceive ourselves and end up like Esau. It is only through Christ we can endure the race of faith laid before us until we obtain the complete crown of righteousness in heaven. And so as we reflect on a relationship with the Lord and we come to him in gratitude for treating us as sons, as he is a father to us, we can remember that Christ is the one who obtained the inheritance that we even get to rejoice in having today. And Hebrews is a beautiful text because it looks as Christ as the fulfillment of all things that we read about in the Old Testament and how he is our greater hope in this life. So as we come to the table in communion, let's reflect a bit on how Christ 
is our great help and we rejoice in the forgiveness of our sins. Hebrews 2, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, he being Christ, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those when, who are being tempted. And we see again in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Amen. Come to the table and let's worship.